Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 73, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, John and I are catching up and doing a little BS session where we're talking all things whitetail and what gets us primed for the upcoming season. So stay tuned. What's up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you had a good weekend and were able to get out into the timber and do a little bit of deer work. I had a chance to take advantage of some of the nice weather. It's been crazy hot here recently. We finally got some nice weather. Got a break here this past weekend, and I took full advantage to get out and take care of some food plotting and stuff that I had to get done. But uh, I'm not going to belabor that here on the upfront because today John and I are going to do a little bit of a catch-up and BS session and so we'll do an update on all things deer hunting and whitetail once uh, once we get Johnny dialed in so what I did want to do is just kind of take a moment and do a little bit of housekeeping here so as I had mentioned in the previous podcast we are doing an Exodus Trek giveaway um, we're, we're going to uh, pull names from a hat, so to speak, uh, once we have 200, or I'm sorry, once we have 145 people um, entered into the into the drawing. And how you get entered into the drawing is you sign up for the Truth From The Stand newsletter, and you can do that at truthfromthestand.com on the About page. So if you do that, we'll get you entered into that drawing, and hopefully here in the next week or so, we'll... Uh, We'll announce who the winner is and get that bad boy shipped out to you so you can get that hung in the timber to uh, hopefully to your benefit here as fall is uh, is quickly approaching. Also, if you wouldn't mind, if you're not already doing so, it would be awesome if you followed us on Instagram and or Facebook. And if you are already doing so, we very much appreciate you uh, you tagging along as I go through my whitetail uh, expeditions and just the random things that I have going on in the whitetail world. So appreciate your follow. If you're not following, uh, go ahead and give us a follow. That would be awesome. 
And uh, before we go ahead and get Johnny dialed on the line, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. This podcast is brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest lasting, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you've ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. Right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. I put mine to use this past weekend. I don't do a lot of trimming, but I did happen to have a a tree in mind, particularly in this one spot that I wanted to get get trimmed out because I think it could be the money spot. So I spent a little time there and, and gave it a little love with the uh, with the Wicked Tree gear. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices that have been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's okay. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145 and has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera. Same great five-year warranty and unmatched customer service, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a single-line, simple backlit LED display. You also get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus trail cameras, check them out at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Dot com And if you'd like what you see, save yourself $20 and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. As I had mentioned, I was doing a little bit of food plotting at my dad's, and the seed that I will be putting in the ground this year is the Wicked Greens. Actually, just uh, I just got it in at the house, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. It's a great food source for or a food plot seed for fall and, and late season. Um, if, if you would like to learn more about this seed, go ahead and go to techamani.com and use the product selector tool and learn more and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save some dollars, 20% on any Tecamani purchase. And we're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, or fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com, promo code TRUTH, save yourself 20%. They also have the brand new line of coolers. Recording on my end. Just hit the website. And now without further ado, let's get my brother from another mother on the line. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And hailing from the state of Iowa, the Hawkeye State, Johnny Utah, what's going on, man? What's happening, dude? Dude, living, living, loving. She's just a woman, as Led Zeppelin, as Led Zeppelin says. Uh, just trying to grind through, man. I'm, dude, we had some nice, cool weather this past weekend, and it's just got me Jones and hard for yeah. deer season. Like no one's business. Yeah, yeah. It Isn't was it funny how you're you're getting ninety degree temps, and then all of a sudden it drops to like eighty two. You're like, what? What the the, the rut's coming? What? Oh, full on, man. Like a hundred percent. We were back. We had my in laws had their forty fifth wedding anniversary this weekend, so we went back to visit the family. My wife's sister's in town from L.A., and we went back for the party and stuff like that. Took the dog, so he got his first trip to the country, which was super cool, you know. And it was the it was it was like it was the Pennsylvania summer nights that you kind of like look forward to, where it's like you know the days were like eighty five, but like it dipped down into like the low sixties at night. And when you would get up in the morning, it would be nice and kind of crisp, you know what I mean, to where you could sit outside and have a cup of coffee. And I took the dog a walk every morning, like hiked the mountain, and just kind of took him in the woods and and went for a nice, like, 45-minute hike. And just, like, 
you know, you can start to see the woods are coming alive a little bit. Like, you know, I've hunted this area particularly, you know, in the past. And so it's like, I know where the deer all kind of move. And I saw some deer and try to keep the dog from chasing deer because he's a lab. And of course, if he sees anything, he wants to run after it. So tried to do that but man yeah i don't know about you what the weather was happening or what was going out there for the weather but around here it was just a nice change of pace and it uh it definitely got the the old blood pumping yeah well i was um i was down in orlando for that icast show for about six days and then i was home for three days then i was out in montana um so Orlando, I have no idea what the temperature was. I was never outside. Hot. You know, inside, <laughs> inside a convention center or a hotel. But Montana, you know, it's chilly. I mean, you know, 75, 80, 85 during the day. But uh, the evenings got, got real, real kind of, real cold, um, which is always welcome. You know, in any time of the summer, you can get away from the heat. Yeah, man. It's it. I always look forward to, I mean, of course, fall is my favorite time of year, right? Because because deer season comes in. But there's just something about this time of year where you get to go out and do some glassing. Temperatures drop a little bit, you know. And the thing is, too, is like when you're going out to glass, you know, I knew the temperature was getting ready to drop, right? So whenever I was driving home, I told my wife, I was like, hey, it's like while you're driving, just, you know, back to their, your parents. Because she left the, a couple hours before me because I had to finish up some work here at the house and stuff like that. And um, it's like a three-hour drive. And so I was like, hey, when you're going back, I was like, you know, the temperature's getting ready to drop. I was like, so just watch the fields for me for deer. I was like, I bet there's going to be deer out tonight with the temp drop, like more so than usual. And sure enough, man, she's only gone for about an hour. And she's like, I don't know if you've left yet. She's like, and she told me like whatever the, the mile marker was on the turnpike. And she's like, there is a hammer buck just hanging out like in this field that's near the turnpike. And I was like, temp drop equals deer movement. Oh, my God, is it October yet? <laughs> you know it's uh, funny dude yeah so i've I, I got we're all kind of wired a little you know yeah uh we're all waiting for that first uh cold front it doesn't matter what time of year it is it always takes us to a yeah. to a, a happy place you know yeah exactly and <laughs> so i told her i was like man temp drop this weekend should be good deer movement now the crappy thing was was while we were back i didn't get to get out to glass at all since it was more of a family trip of uh you know of a anniversary party variety so it wasn't like i was going back specifically to do things that i wanted to do it was a great party don't get me wrong but i definitely would would have liked to have done some some glassing man but i wanted to ask you so i know we were chatting right before we jumped on here and i had mentioned something about truck borrowing spouses spouses borrowing trucks so question for you okay do you permit it Do you permit? Do I permit permit truck borrowing? Yeah. So if your wife asks to borrow the truck or needs to borrow the truck, oh, like, oh, okay. is is it something you do willingly? Is it begrudgingly? Uh, is it like does it come with stipulations? Are there rules yeah, and regulations that need to be yeah. followed? So I think um, number one thing you have to consider who is borrowing, you know, said vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um. What is their past driving experience? Yes. Wife is kind of tough because you almost have to let them do it, even though you might suspect something bad's going to happen mm-hmm. just to keep the peace. Um, it's funny that you mentioned this. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. Somebody, somebody had mentioned to me something about, you know, loaning a vehicle out. And 
one time in my life I loaned a vehicle out. I loaned said vehicle with a half tank of gas. They brought it back like dead ass empty, you know, <laughs> like sputtering for me to make it one mile to the gas station. Right. And I'm like total foul. Like that's a bylaw. When you borrow a vehicle, you fill that tank back up with gas and maybe even take it to the car wash. Yeah, exactly. That's just me. So, but I have a feeling that you loaned your vehicle out to your wife. Yes. I don't know why. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> look at you. You you can tell you were an investigator in your past life. Um, yeah. So we were headed back, right? And so we got this new dog, and he's awesome. He's he's learning the ways of the house really well. He's being able to be left alone now, and I don't have to like crate him or anything like that. And he has a new crate, a new cage. Because I sent you pictures of the previous cage that he ate. He ate the wire cage. It's built for his size. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I yeah. was, it's ridiculous. Like, he's destroyed two of them. I had to send two of them back to Amazon. And I was like, hey, like, my dog ate your cage. I'd like to get my money back because this thing it doesn't work. <laughs> and uh, so they gave me my money back, and I ended up getting a, a new cage. And I was really concerned he was going to hurt himself because, like, he was literally chewing off the metal. And then it was becoming sharp, and he was trying to wedge himself between, like, after he would get the wires pulled apart and stuff. So I went and got, like, the Fort Knox, like, dog jail, like, has bars where it's, like, if he eats this thing, like, I'm not even going to be mad because I'm going to be I'm gonna be impressed. And I'm going to enter him into some type of competition where he eats odd metal objects for, for like, monetary gain or something. Because it would be a feat of doggy power if he is able to devour this thing. So with that being said, mm-hmm. it, it's it's sizable, right? I mean, it, it collapses in on itself, and it's got a few bolts and stuff like that. You can put it together and take it apart in under five minutes, right? So we got him that, and so you know, my wife left with my daughter and her sister, took her car back. Her sister's in from California, so they were staying an extra couple of days back with her parents, you know. So I left on Sunday. They're coming back, you know, on Tuesday, right? So tomorrow, as as we're recording this on Monday, and. Uh, so the plan was like, okay, you drive back with the, the girls and take all the suitcases and stuff like that, and that's fine. And then I'll basically just pack like a quick bag or whatever, and then I'll bring the dog with me in the truck along with his his cage because my brother-in-law was also bringing his dog, and we weren't sure how they were going to get along, so we needed to make sure at night when they were sleeping there was a way to keep them separated if we needed to. So pack everything up, go back, everything's cool. And she was like, well, then I'll drive back your truck you know, after you leave, you can bring my car back, you know, and use it on Monday and Tuesday. And I'll bring your truck back with the girls, the dog and the cage. I was like, okay, not super cool with it because I don't like to lend my truck out. Also, my wife has wrecked every vehicle she's ever driven. So there's also (laughs) that part of it driving record as part of it. And then my other stipulation was like, he's going to be with this other dog, like for the weekend and they're playing and see in this, it's a King Corso. So he's like super slobbery. So my dog basically was like a slobbery mess the entire time. Cause they just like mauled each other the entire weekend. And so I was like, just mm-hmm. make sure you give him a bath before you put him in my truck. Because I don't want as hunting seasons coming up as we all know for scent control. Right. I was like, I don't want my truck smelling like stinky dog ass for like the next three months and I spend like however much time trying to get it out of the upholstery of the truck before hunting season comes in. So she's calling. So she's, you know, she called me right before you and I started talking and she's, you know, talking about, you know, bringing the doll back and what time they're going to leave tomorrow and, and all this stuff. And I was like, well, did you give him a bath yet? And she's like, no. And I was like, dude needs a bath before he gets in my truck. And she was like, well, I'll give him a bath tomorrow morning before I leave. And I was like, dude needs to be bathed and dried 
before he gets in my truck is like, because I do not want wet dog smell in my truck. So am I being finicky or do you think I have a, have a case here? Uh, you have a case. Okay. There's, I mean, no doubt you, you have a case. Uh, I don't know if it's a winnable case there, well, uh, counselor. I'm, I'm married, but, so uh, that's a losing case regardless. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's something I learned years ago in the court of law. It's not always what happened. It's what you can prove. And if you have a debatable case, and you can win a case um, but lose at the same time. And I have a feeling that this may be a losing case. So this is this is what in the I end. yes no and I, I I agree with you I think that this is a losing case but I think what is going to happen is I think is she's going to tell me that she gave the dog a bath and just bring the dog home anyway and without a bath and just tell me that she did I think that's what's going to happen and then my my truck's going to smell like slobbery dog for like the next two months yeah it's very possible um, now you might be able to establish. Uh, you know, I think maybe a different approach might be is after you get your truck back and it smells like a dirty butt, <laughs> then you might be able to say, hey, come here, <laughs> smell inside my truck. Smell this, this is what I was referring to, <laughs> you know? Right. And just be like, hey, it's all good. You know, I'll clean it. Yeah, just, it, you know, next time, you know, let's let's not make a big deal out of this. Right. This, this is what I'm trying to avoid here is this, is this smell. So, well, yep. I mean, I guess if worse come, if push comes to shove, I can – Crank the autozonics unit up and throw it in the back seat, and uh, yeah, there you go. You know, that's that's actually a really good idea. Hey, yeah, actually, might not be a bad thing. Just let her do it, so you can do a little test. Yeah, it could actually, be a little blog. That's actually not too. That's not a bad idea. See if it gets the, the dog funk out of my. Uh, do you take limes and turn them into or lemons and turn them into lemonade? Right, or limes and turn them into limonade. Right. Oh or, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Nice. Take those limes, cut them up, and put them in a Corona. Yeah, there you go. That sounds like a good idea. I could use one of those by now. So anyway, I'm losing. I'm losing that bet. That's happening. Um, I'm gonna have a stinky truck. I'll put an ozone unit and clean it up, and we'll be we'll be good to go. But just before we got into my my truck dilemma, we were talking about getting pumped up for the season, and it's it's kind of funny. So I had we had the weekend right that was nice cool weather that kind of got me jazzed and ready to go and then today i go to pick up the mail and you know it lo and behold the cabela's archery catalog is in the mail and there oh, are dude that's always like a turning point you know yeah. in the year yeah so i was going to ask you man like there's two things for me and i'll just i'll just say what they are like for me I know that it's about to be hunting season and it's time for me to go ahead and start getting like i i can allow myself to start to daydream a little more and start to geek out a little bit more. I mean, we do it all year round, but whenever it's like January and I'm already like freaking out about the season coming up, it's like you got to kind of like pull the reins back or else you're going to have a long couple months. So for me, it's like I allow myself to kind of like unravel when the Cabela's archery catalog shows up and the Steelers go to training camp. And both things happened this week. So now I am full go for archery season. And I can basically be an obnoxious freak around the house talking about deer. So I'm just curious for you, man, what is, what is that thing or those things that you see, smell, hear, feel that, uh, that say like, holy shit, it's almost deer season. Oh, let's see. Uh, usually 
the start of uh, the third quarter hunting shows. Hmm. Okay. We start seeing a lot of the new programming. You know, then that tells you, okay, that's Q3, Q4 for the networks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one of the first indicators. So that's, you know, July, July 15th, you know, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a, a big one. Um, I, will, I will agree with your uh, Cabela's archery catalog. That's kind of another one of those deals where you know it's getting closer. Um, but also... The first time you see, like, a velvet buck, I mean, forget glassing for velvet deer. Right. Like, when you just kind of see one on the side of the road or you see one standing out in the field somewhere driving home and you're like, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah. And it's the first one that's, like, almost fully developed. You know what I mean? Right. You're like, yep, he's about done growing. Yeah. It's just, yeah. That's that's, uh, that's what does it for me. Yeah. I hear you, man. And I so I've got a chance to go out and do a little glass and I have, we'll talk a little bit about our updates as far as like trail camera checking and stuff like that here and here in a few, but I had a, had an experience this weekend with, with that, which kind of got me all geeked up, but I'm curious too, man. It's like, there's always, so this time of year, once I kind of turn the page and turn the corner, you know, I always have like, you know, I guess, I guess it's really two main rituals that are really kind of start right now and, preparation for the season and that's like one of the other things it's like i have things that i start doing this time of year like you know steelers go to camp cabela's catalog comes out i've gotten a couple cool summer nights and that kind of triggers me to you know one i start doing a lot more shooting from an elevated platform so when i go to the range it's like i usually shoot from an elevated platform throughout the year but it's sporadic because i'll spend time on a 3d course you know walking a 3d course and stuff like that but as it gets close to the season, you know, about, you know, the past week or so, I start, you know, I full on redneck it up. You know, I live in a town outside of, you know, a suburb of Philadelphia. So I'm the only guy probably within like 50 square miles that has a tree stand in his backyard. And uh, the neighbors can fully see me over my privacy fence in my tree stand. And I do some elevated platform shooting at my 3D target and try to start getting dialed in at different distances, you know, getting used to being in a stand again. So that's one of the things I do. And then the other ritual for me is the annual, I should start throwing like a party for it or whatever, start like chronicling it. It's the annual backpack dump and repositioning all the gear in the backpack with the attempt of removing things that I don't need. However, everything that I dump out makes it back into the pack every year. Those are my two rituals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How about you, man? Do you have anything that you like to uh, that you do every year? That's kind of like your, uh, you know, your your preparation. You know, your long term preparation and and build. Yeah, I've. Uh, it's one of those things, that I, and I've mentioned it before in a couple. Um, I think I mentioned either a podcast or an episode or something or a while, but the night before the season starts, like that's always been a ritual for me. I don't care how prepared I am. The, the night before the season starts or the night before I'm going to go out the first time, that is, that's my Christmas Eve, man. Mm-hmm. Like I, I dump out the pack and I look at all my gear and I, I, I know that there's nothing else I need in that pack. And mm-hmm. I know that there's nothing I'm going to get rid of, but I act like I'm kind of methodically thinking about, Hmm, do I need two of these or do I need one of these? You know? Right. And, and yeah, packing, packing the backpack. That is, I love doing it, and I love to spread everything out on the floor, mm-hmm. like it's Christmas morning, and I'm looking at all my stuff, and I'm, you know, 
it's almost like I'm looking at it for the first time. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. There's also the uh, the the camo wash right before the season two, the camo oh, wash, yeah. descenting, yeah. and then, you know, packing away. I haven't done that yet because that, for, for me, that's like, I usually try to do that like two weeks out because once the camo gets washed and goes in the scent-free tote, because, you know, I, I take care of it as soon as the season's over. I wash it, put it in the scent-free tote, and it stays till, you know, till summer until I get it out to get ready. And you would think, one would think that it would be clean and fine and scent-free because it did nothing but sit in a scent-free tote after it got washed this wet past winter. But for whatever reason, it's like I have to, like, I don't trust it. You know what I mean? Like, there's something in the back of my mind. And I don't know if it's just, like, this, you know, neuroses that I have. And I'm like, I got to pull it back out. It's like the guy. So there's a guy that I work with who actually every week takes all of his clothes out of his dresser, unfolds them, washes all of them, folds them all again, and puts them all back out of in his closet and his, and his dresser. It's almost like that, where it's like I take something that's completely done and I undo it and then I redo it again. But... It's just one of those things where it's like once that happens, it's like I, then it's it's kind of game on. Like it's like I'm set then. I'm ready for the season. But <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't go quite as far as my buddy that uh, rewashes all of his clean clothes every week. I asked him why. He said because I think they get dusty while they sit in my dresser. That was his reason. So he might be a little, he might be a little OCD, just a little. He might need a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, he's an interesting he's an interesting bird. I would say he could he could use a hobby. But uh, so man, I want to talk a little bit about some things we've had going on over the past past few weeks since we've had a chance to catch up catch up last. And I want to start with you first. So I know you went to TAC, and I'm always extremely jealous every year when you get to go to TAC. Even though I mean I went to TAC this year in, in Seven Springs and it was awesome. Had a great time. Bunch of cool dudes. Got to shoot with a bunch of buddies. You know, the, the course was really challenging, really cool. I know we covered that in the previous podcast. But I don't know, man. Like, I see your pictures and being in Montana, and there just seems like there's something a little bit extra special, you know, aside from the amazing scenery, about shooting the tack in, in, in Montana. Just, like, it feels like the course would be more challenging, especially if you like to western hunt because you're getting a little bit of that elevation, and so you're trying to – you're kind of gauging where you're at in terms of like your readiness as far as like being able to hit the mountain and, and put the, put the, the miles on the boots if you need to and stuff like that. So how was tack this year, man? Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about wicked tree gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need hardcore tools. Do yourself a favor and check out wicked tree gear, the toughest hand saws and pull saws on earth. You buy it once you buy it for life backed by a lifetime guarantee right now. If you use the promo code truth, You'll save 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. So head over to wickedtreegear.com and get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. It was good. Um, you know, like I've mentioned before, that's the only one that I've ever been to. Uh, but uh, same deal. I just kept seeing everybody's pictures from there. And, and then after going out there the first year, I kind of made a commitment to myself. I said, if I only go to one of these things a year, this is the one I'm going to. But, um, you know, being out there and, you know, Sitka's backyard, I've, you know, I've got a lot of friends over there and, and that's always super fun. Um, and you know, there's so many companies that are based out of Bozeman, uh, to begin with, uh, mystery ranch and, you know, tight spot there. I think they're in Belgrade actually, which is right outside, but, um, you know, you've got stone glacier. I've got some buddies over there and 2% for conservation, you know, operates out of Bozeman. And, um, so, it's just so, so freaking cool, man, to, to bump into a bunch of people that live out West that you typically, I don't get to see 
or talk to them as much as I'd like. Um, and so that's what makes it so cool. But the mountains are so, they're so awesome. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to somebody the other day, I'm like, if you lived out there, how could you ever have a bad day? Like, you know how some people yeah. do like the, okay, count to 10 or whatever. All right. you got to do is just look out your window. Yeah. You're like, oh, mountains. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. Um, yeah. it's, it's cool, man. So it's the, the courses were super fun this year. The, the groups that I shot with the first day I shot with a bunch of Canadians, uh, Steve Eklund and a Dude. bunch of his crew from Canada. <laughs> and, um, the shirt, it, the shirt, that it you was guys... kind of funny because just like everything, you know, eh, eh. <laughs> and, uh, but they don't say it as much, uh, as, as I pretend that they do. Right. Uh, it's just when they do say it, it stands out. Um, yeah. so everybody's from Canada I'm the only person, you know, from lower 48 and, uh, <laughs> anytime that I, I got like a 12 ring or something like that, I'd be like, suck it Canada. <laughs> and that always kind of sparked a good little rivalry, but, nice. uh, they, there's some great shooters in that group and especially Steve Eklund himself. He's a, he's a phenomenal shooter. Um, Eric Shippey, he was shooting with us. Um, he, he's a phenomenal shooter and, and all these other guys, and I'm horrible with names, you know, but right. um, that was a ton of fun. And the next day uh, we did kind of a, a big, big group shoot, and um, it, was, it was all Jake, Sam Salt, um, let's see, I'm trying to think, um, a bunch of the guys from the Prime office um, were, you know, were, were shooting in the group, uh, David Wise, um two-time gold medal Olympian freestyle skier. You know, he was in the group. He's a phenomenal shot as well. Um, I mentioned Sam Sowell, his dad, Jerry. He came into town, and I think Jerry is 65? Nice. I want to say 65. Um, and Jerry, if, if he's listening and, and he's younger than that, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> he looks like he's 45. But, right. Um, and the way he was getting around the mountains, it's like he was 40. So, and I'm 40. So, right. um, that tells you anything, but anyways, um, he's a phenomenal shooter as well. Uh, and it was so cool just to see, uh, Sam and Jerry together and their interaction and stuff, father and son and whatnot. Um, that was, that was real neat to see how supportive Jerry is of what Sam's doing. And, and likewise, you know, Sam was, uh, you know, always pulling Jerry's arrows and, you know, giving him tips and, uh, and stuff like that. So he shot really, really well. So it's just so much fun. Then the last day we just did kind of a, kind of a snobby prime shoot. Um, it was myself and three other guys, uh, from, from the prime office. And we just kind of all went and shot together and, and had a blast. Nice. Uh, Corey Jacobson, first time I'd ever met him and got to talk to him and hang out with him. Super awesome guy. Just, laid back man i kept telling him he reminded me of sam elliott and everybody's like what i don't see it and i'm like how do you not see it i was like dude that's wade garrett right there in the right. flesh but uh anyway super awesome guy uh tremendous amount of respect for him he's a he's a cool dude yeah i mean for anyone out there listening that isn't and i'd, I'd imagine most people are unless you just aren't interested in elk hunting possibly you know that you might not know who Corey is but Dude runs the Elk 101 um, stuff, which is just a, a wealth of elk hunting knowledge. Um, I think he's actually doing an elk 
All Elk podcast now with Randy Newberg, which I've listened to a handful of episodes of that that are, that were uh, really good. And Corey is like a championship elk caller, like has won many competitions. I think his dad actually owned like one of the first ever like elk uh, call uh, companies, like making elk calls. Um, and he's closely tied in with the guys from Primos because they did the the whole uh, the linguist last year for for Sitka that was you know talking about the evolution of elk calling and elk hunting and stuff like that, which was really good. But I mean, everything I've seen that guy do has been really cool. He seems like a nice guy. I'm glad to hear from you that he is because there's nothing worse, man. And I know you and I have talked about this before, where it's like you meet guys that like you were looking forward to meeting, whether it was musicians or guys in the outdoor industry or whatever, and you kind of see them and you're like, oh, this person must be awesome. And you meet him, and you're like, man, that dude's a dick. <laughs> you know? What yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. It's so it's so dis- disappointing. You know, you get somebody built up in your head as to what they're going to be, and. um yeah, super class act guy, very respectful, um, you know, great listener in conversation and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he did not disappoint at all. Yeah. Uh, he was he was what I'd kind of built him up to be in my head, you know? Yeah, and kills kills hammers. His, his son killed a great bull last yeah. year, and that was that was an awesome story. It was part of the linguist. Like, I don't want to blow it for anybody. I bet it probably just did if you didn't see it, but it's been out for a year or so if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, his son, you know, is passing that on to his son and they're hunting together and, you know, his son's hunting with a bow and it's like, he's kind of taken after his old man. And, um, it just, I'm just glad to hear that he's a, he's an all around good dude because everything that I've seen from him has been super cool. And it's nice to hear that the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the imagination or the image meets the, it uh, matches the man. So that's, that's always nice to hear. But uh, you mentioned yep. you mentioned something about, you know, Sam and his dad, Jerry, you know, kind of palling around and, you know, Sam trying to, you know, giving him a few pointers and pulling his arrows and stuff like that. It just kind of made me think, man, because I spent this past weekend with with my pops. Um, we were, you know, even though we had the, you know, anniversary for my wife's parents, their anniversary party, um, my dad came up from North Carolina because we had a little bit of work to do at the, at the property. We had, you know, we had killed off of uh, an area that we were going to, you know, turn into food plot or turn into a food plot. And he had, you know, he had brought the UT UTV up from North Carolina so we could disc it up and stuff. So I went and met him there on Saturday morning and just kind of spent the day with him getting stuff, uh, getting stuff ready. And it's kind of funny. Cause I mean this, you know, it, it's almost like it turns into, and this isn't meant to be sound bad or mean or anything like that, but you get to a point to where you kind of parent your parents to a degree. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, well, yeah, I mean, I, I see what, you know. Yeah, well, just because, I mean, if, like for me and my dad, it's like, you know, that man's the man who taught me how to hunt and how to hunt ethically and, you know, you know why I like the outdoors and the things that I like as much as I do is, is a lot to do to, you know, do to him. Um, you know, and then at the same time, it's like I'm, I'm probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, I am way more into hunting than he ever probably had an opportunity to, to be whenever he was younger because, you know, it was – a different time and you know and and uh you know he probably didn't have things as easy as i did in terms of you know he had a young family and, and and stuff like that and so you know his his time was spent you know having to work you know two jobs or whatever to make ends meet and stuff like that so you know his time a field probably isn't as much and as as i enjoy or as didn't enjoy to, you know the free time to think about it even as much as as i do and so in that regard, it's like there's a lot that I know that, you know, he's taught me and I've just kind of taken it and run with it. So now it's like I'm talking to him, you know, we're walking around the property after we got things kind of tilled up and I'm kind of helping him figure out how we should be tilling it. And I went and picked up all the lime and fertilizer because I 
I did the soil sample and I knew what we needed and stuff like that. And we started walking around the property then and checked some cameras and that stuff. And I started pointing out to him, you know, what trees we should, he should be thinking about getting into this year. You know what I mean? So we started doing that and, you know, and I would say, you know, I think this tree would be a good tree right here for this spot or whatever. And he would ask me why, and I would kind of give him an explanation why, how I think the deer are going to move based on the, you know, the camera information I've seen. And it was just one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man, it feels real good to like have your, you know, it doesn't matter how old you get, man. It, it, it feels real good for your dad just to kind of sit there and listen to you and be like, you know what? You're right. That's, that's a good idea. It doesn't matter how old you get. They sure. always, it always feels good to hear the old man say, you know, you did a good job. But so I think that just made me think of that when you were talking about Sam and his dad kind of, you know, shooting together and stuff like that, that there's those, you reach a point in your life where you're not, you're fa- always father and son, but you're just two, two men enjoying each other's company. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, you could tell, obviously, uh, Sam has learned a lot of new tricks of the trade and, and with some of the modern technology and advancements, you know, in archery equipment and stuff. And it was cool to see him pass that stuff down. And his dad's like, okay, yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't question him, like, took his word for it. And and then, you know, the next the next target, you know, Jerry, he, he 12-ringed um, a target that none of us 12-ringed. You know, he was the only person to 12-ring one. And it was a poke, man. Um, I know it was somewhere in the 70s, if not the low 80s. Wow. And we were all like, whoa, all right. <laughs> Jerry nice. can shoot. Nice. You know, so it was neat. The old man showing out. I love it. Oh, without <laughs> a doubt. Nice. But uh, speaking of food plot work, we did manage to get everything tilled up. I'm pretty excited about this little spot. Um, you know, I know you and I were talking about, you know, I was going back and forth of what I was going to plan in it and stuff like that. And so I think I finally settled on, I'm going to be using some, uh, some wicked greens made by Tecamani. And I know that this is a product that is just come out or is just now available on the Tecamani site. So I don't have all the details yet. Uh, Cause I'll be getting it here soon, but um, I, w- I wanted to see if you wouldn't mind just cause I know that you were, you and I were talking about this, like, Oh man, I don't know. Like probably even around ATA, we were talking about this. Um, just For the, sure. like the development of it and stuff like that. And, you know, you were just kind of talking about how cool it was to, you know, be part of, you know, bringing a, a seed product to life and, and a blend of life. So I wanted to give you a minute to kind of just, you know, tell folks yep. what, what it's all about, what it includes, what time of year it's going to be good for, and all that kind of stuff. Because I'm always looking for fall and winter stuff, especially on this property. And that was kind of why I was waiting for the Wicked Green stuff to come out. Because I knew from talking to you, I knew what was going to be included in it and it was going to kind of fit my bill. So if you wouldn't mind, just indulge us. Yep. yep. So uh, Wicked Greens obviously is a play off of Wicked Tree here. And... Um, you know, after being with Tecamani Holdings for the past two years, two and a half years, um, you know, obviously I'm, I became familiar with their seed lineup, and and I, you know, I noticed a trend that there was um, there was stuff that was made for the Midwest and for the North and Northeast and and for the South, but there wasn't anything that was made specifically for the Midwest seed. Uh, and, and stuff like that, but there wasn't like a, a dedicated blend to the Midwest. So um, I started, um, you know, doing my best politician, uh, politicking, you know, for mm-hmm. 
to try to get a Midwest blend. And, and I said, hey, why don't we just kind of play off of the Wicked, you know, Wicked Tree here, have a little synergy between the brands, and let's do Wicked Greens. And so our, uh, I worked, uh, worked with our biologist, uh, Mike, uh, Mark Newell, um, super intelligent guy, and said, look, this is, this is what I'm thinking. You know, these are the seeds that I would like to see in this blend. I don't know if they'll all work or not together. Because um, sometimes putting together seed blends, it's tricky on the seed size mm-hmm. and how and getting the percentages because, let's say, turnips, super small seed, but has a huge, huge, huge yield and tonnage as far as a big leafy plant above mm-hmm. the ground as well, you know? Yeah. Um, so making sure that you get your percentages right, nothing chokes each other out. And what we came up with is wintergreens, brassicas, uh, and clover. And the way the split works is you've got um, oats, winter wheat, rape, uh, two different two different blends of rape, um, and you've got a radish in there as well. So you've got three different brassicas, um, and then we have a, a white clover as well. So that's the blend. It's um, we sell it in. Uh, in a, it's almost five pounds. It's a 4.7 pound jug. It'll do a quarter of an acre, uh, 11,000 square feet. And now's the time to plant basically in the Midwest. Uh, you've got, you know, now another say 30 day window to, to get it in. Um, and it's extreme late season attraction. That's what we're going for. So we say that it's the perfect small food plot blend for colder climates high sugar forage um, variety with grains to attract bucks all season uh, maximum tonnage brassicas provide lots of fuel that the deer love brassicas providing high protein in the early season and high sugar uh, later for energy uh, high protein clover helps to provide critical nutrition during the late season so and like all the tecumani seed blends the majority of tecumani seed blends um, it is yellow jacket coating uh, which is just really good for improving germination uh, amongst amongst all the seeds. So that just hit the market, um, I'm going to say, five, six days ago mm-hmm. from the time that we're recording this. Yeah. And uh, it's available at store.tecamani.com, Wicked Greens. It's uh, been literally flying out of our di- distribution center. Um, it's been super cool to see uh, to see people buy it in such large numbers, which tells us that it's something that our consumers and our, our customers, it's something that they needed, definitely. Um, and, you know, as we you and I have talked about before, Tecamani gets, it's unfortunate, Tecamani seed gets kind of grouped into a southern-only seed. And some of that is because of the Bucks of Tecamani TV show, right. uh, you know, being based out of Texas and stuff like that. But... As you and I've said before, if it'll grow in Texas dirt, just imagine what it'll do in fertile soil in the Midwest and Northeast and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, guys um, and girls, check it out. Wicked Greens. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to putting it in, man. The one thing that I was super because I was looking at a couple of different kinds. You and I were talking. You know, we were talking at ATA whenever I. I was looking at the brochure of like the entire lineup and stuff like that, and then I I'd kind of narrowed it down. You know and what I thought I wanted and we kind of kept talking about and the thing that I got I think most interested in and excited about was you know this time of year planning it can be can be tough 
right? Because it's, you're kind of trying to play the weather. You're always playing the weather game, but when you plant in spring, you know, you're always going to get spring showers. So you get a start and then it just, do you get a good enough start to last you through the year or last you through the summer when you hit those dry spells, right? And this time of year, it's, you know, it can be a little, a little tricky. And it's the one thing that I really liked about the blend was the, the inclusion of, of oats. Um, cause those are I don't know, like, if you grew up in the country, like grew up, you know, in, in the country and on farm country and grew up on some farms, if you're hauling oats somewhere and you happen to dump oats out in the back of your bed, did you just pit, say hauling oats. I did just say hauling oats. I was, I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was like, you just said hauling oats. Okay. Damn, my bad. Go ahead. Damn right. Yep. I did. <laughs> the, uh, but if you're hauling oats, um, the, uh, if you get any type of moisture and you've dropped any of this, the grain out of the bag into the bed of your pickup truck, it will literally sprout in the bed of your pickup truck. Yep. So that is the one thing, like whenever I was kind of looking for something for this time of year to plant for, you know, fall and late season, you know, I knew I definitely wanted to have something that had, had um, oats in it just for that reason alone. Also it provides a nice cover crop to, so during, before, if you're, struggling to get enough rain if your clover pops up or whatever it's like that the oats will kind of provide a little bit of cover um for the clover so where it doesn't get burned out um which is which is a nice added benefit um and the oats of course are good you know super super late into the season which you know deer will deer will continue to, to to hammer so i'm looking forward to it man i'm planting probably just just around an acre i have uh, burned off and tilled up so Looking forward to get getting it into the ground and uh, and seeing what shakes, man. Pretty excited about it. So, yeah, but, it's it's gonna it's gonna be cool. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm gonna be planting a bunch um, this weekend. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's been one of those things, man. We've been talking about it and talking about it, and finally the seed is in my hand and and gets put in the ground. And um, I just I really think it's something that my food plotting and uh, it, it's a, it might be a secret weapon. I've always said, I, I kind of hate sometimes when people are always looking for that secret weapon, what's going to be here. There's a seed they're growing in, in England. And if we plant it here, we'll right. be able to get all the deer on our property and they'll leave all of our neighbors. You know, I don't know if that exists, but right. this is truly a blend that I think, um, it's going to be a huge benefit, uh, to my late season hunting this year. Yeah. And, and my thinking was, you know, and you and I had talked about this. I think we might have touched on it briefly on a podcast, but I know we've talked about it, you know, privately. But the property, this property is not huge. It's right around 60 acres, and there's, you know, a couple places where you could put a food plot. And I chose the place at where I did or where I am because it's going to keep the deer kind of moving and using the same kind of travel patterns that they've been kind of accustomed to on this property. Um, you know, so I didn't want to kind of disrupt them in that regard. Cause I have really good travel patterns right now to where it's like, I'm catching deer on multiple cameras across the property in daylight and stuff like that. So I know that they have to have to move. Um, you know, but the, the other thing was, was that, you know, with it being a small property, I really was hesitant, hesitant to do anything that was going to be spring and summer focused. Cause I didn't want to turn it into a doe factory where it's just like my, my property got populated with, you know, just kind of polluted with does. You know, if there were any bucks that were going to bed nearby, they would get pushed out by the doe families that would have to bed, you know, at different levels if there were too many of them using up the better cover and stuff like that. And so I didn't want to run into something like that, um, you know, and there's not really any food like so spring and summer. There's always a, a, a glut of food around, especially even in the timber. 
And so I knew if I had something during the winter or fall and winter when everyone else pretty much pulls everything off and like the natural browse and stuff starts to go away, that would be dynamite because I'd pretty much be the only game in town at that point. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting that in and, and seeing how it uh, helps my uh, my late season hunting on this property. So and it'll be my first year on this property, too. So, you know, hunting it specifically. So pretty pumped about that. But I want to go back to shooting real quick because I know before you were getting ready to go to Montana, we had started talking about you making a switch to a single pin site. You know, I know you and I had talked about we, we both had used multi pin sites for you know, for the longest time, I believe, you know, for me, it's the only, I've only ever used a, a, a multi-pin site until this year. And I want to say that was true for you, you as well, but I don't hundred percent remember, but I wanted to see how your, your transformation was going, man, moving to a, moving to a single pin and how that, how that was coming along. Um, pretty good. You know, one of my biggest fears was, um, it seems like with a lot of times when you switch from a multi-pin to a single pin, you get to a target and you forget to dial and make your change, mm-hmm. um, which was really, could have been really easy to do. You know, you're shooting with your buddies and everybody's laughing, cutting up and joking and whatnot. And uh, I saw a couple of guys do it, you know, on the, on the course where the last target was 68 and then the next target is 98 or 92. And they uh, come to full draw and send it. And they're like, oh, what the heck just and then they look at their target, you know, their site, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I forgot to yeah, change that, it." So, that thing. Um, I didn't make any of those mistakes, but it was kind of one of those things I, I was afraid I was going to. So it was kind of always on my mind every, um, you know, every target. But uh, I like it, man. It, it really cleans up the site housing. Uh, you're focused on one pin, not a multiple of pins. You know, no more of that. Okay, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty. You know, none of that counting. You just dial and and, and rip. So, um, the inherent issues that I had mentioned on the last podcast that we talked about, it was, I still have uh, some reservations as far as, you know, deer comes in and he's at 30 yards and, and then he trots off all of a sudden to 40. It's like, Oh crap. You know, I got to range him. I gotta, I gotta change my site. I mean, I still have those reservations and, and we'll see how it plays out, but so far, so good. I'm, I'm loving the adjustability of the site. Um, setup was super easy. Um, so, yeah, so far, so good. Sticking to it. Nice. So do you think, you know, going back to that, if he trots off the 40 or what or what have you, are you are you still possibly considering doing, you know, setting your pin at a yardage and just being able to gap to different yardages? Because mine, and I think I mentioned this in the previous one, but it's like I set mine at 25. And I know I can gap out to like 37 with confidence. And then I know that I can gap anything under that. So, you know, so I'm holding high beyond 25 and holding low, you know, under, under 25 and just spending a lot of time shooting at odd yardages, shooting at 32 yards, 28 yards, 33 yards, you know, uh, 17 yards. So I can kind of understand, you know, how high am I going to be when I'm under 25 yards and how, you know, um, how, what's my drop going to be if I'm beyond 25 yards at those different yardages? So are you still giving any thought to that? Or are you, or are you thinking you're going to kind of, you know, this year at least kind of dial and try to, you know, dial in the pin based on where you're, where the deer is coming through at? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing that and it's going to come from just shooting a little bit more and, um, really start to learn where my bow is at. You know, this is also, I've been making some changes with my poundage and hmm. uh, whatnot. I mean, I have my broadheads set as far as, you know, weight and, 
and my arrows, so I'm not making any arrow changes before the season. So I know what my weight's going to be. Um, I fi- I've settled on the draw weight that I'm going to I'm going to rock the rest of the season. So now I can start doing those kind of things where I start, uh, like you said, 25 is probably the number that I'll go with because I think from 20 to 30 I should be just a matter of an inch, you know, mm-hmm. two inches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to, I, I want to test it at 30 and 40 and 40 to 30 and, you know, see where that drop is just so I can kind of gauge it a little bit myself, right. which what? is a very, very, I think it's a very smart thing to do that, te- you know, teaches you to learn your bow more. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel way more in tune with my, with my bow than I have in the past doing that. Cause I, I now understand my trajectory, you know what I mean? I know what my arrow is going to, going to do when I release it. Um, I'm curious, man, what's, you know, what are you, what are you pulling? Like what, what weight did you settle on as far as your draw weight goes? Uh, 70, there's 70 pound limbs. And, uh, when we pulled it, it was pulling 72. Okay. And there's, I mean, there's 70 pound limbs that are buried. Yeah. And what's your draw length? Uh, 28 on this bow. 28 on this bow. So you're, yeah, see my challenge and we all, we've talked about this in the past. My challenge is I have T Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. You know what I mean? So it's like my draw length is 26, uh-huh. 26 and a half, you know, pulling. Uh, it's set at 70. The limbs were buried, but the string stretched a little bit. I think the last time I looked at it, it was like 68 pounds, I think is what it was, or 67 pounds, something like that. So, you know, it's like I, I wish I had an extra couple inches of, inches of draw length because that would make gapping so much more, so much easier. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because for me, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because when I get out, I set my 25 yard pin and if I'm shooting out the 35 yards, like I know I have a pretty good, like it's, it's a pretty solid, like eight inch, eight inch drop, eight to 10 inch drop, you know what I mean? From 25 to 35 yards, you know? So that's, that's a gap to kind of, kind of play with now. I mean, what helps is shooting a 3d target. So I know where to kind of hold the pin, you know, on the, within the anatomy to get, to, to get the air to go where I need it to go. Um, but man, it would be so much nicer if that drop was only about five inches. That'd be a lot easier to kind of, you know, but I did take your advice though. I will say this, man. One thing that has helped me out a good bit was I'm now doing a lot more center mass shooting based on the last time we, that we had talked about it. Um, uh-huh. and that has helped me a ton. Cause I know that we were talking a little bit about that, that you like to go center mass and try to get that double long where it's like, I've historically kind of gone for the, the heart, the, the boiler room shot. And just with this gapping and stuff, it's just been more challenging. So I've definitely taken your, your advice and gone more of a center mass type of shot. Even again, took your advice, man, even not afraid to get a little liver, you know what I mean? So I've been trying to, trying to work on that and not, not, not shy away from the liver so much, especially if I'm doing an angle, angling away shot or whatever. So working on that a little bit, man. But so now I want to get to the meaty stuff, dude. I want to I want to do a hard transition here and uh and go straight to the uh the trail camera check and see how uh yep. see, see how things are going for for you in, in Iowa on the old uh on the old image inventory. Yep. Anything good? Um so I've been sticking I've been sticking to my guns. I said I wasn't going to check trail cameras as much this year as I have in the past. Um it's a lot easier to do when you're like busy as hell you know what i mean and you work 80 hours a week but um the last card pull i did was like june 27th and i didn't pull all of them um i pulled 
Uh, yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, I take that back. I did pull all of them on that around that date. Um, and so this weekend coming up, I'm going to make another round and I'm going to check all of them. So mm-hmm. that'll put me at like what August fourth, uh, call it six weeks in yeah. between card pulls, and um, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm excited because I I actually did spot a couple of deer from that late June pulling. Um, that have death one has potential to be a really really good buck i don't know exactly how old he is he didn't have a birth certificate attached to his body <laughs> and early season it's so hard to judge him yeah. sometimes but one deer did i get did get a picture of he won't score anything at all but he's an old deer um i do know that i do know that physically he has an appearance of a very old deer so um anyways Nice. That's what I got looking uh, look forward to this, this this weekend, man. Dude, that's almost like when you were talking earlier about dumping your pack out and kind of looking at it all. It's like Christmas morning, you know, Christmas Eve, yeah. you know, the night before opening season. It's the same thing when you're checking trail cameras, trail and English trail cameras. Um, you know, just get getting pumped up to you know. It's just the anticipation of not knowing what's going to be on there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I did a pool this weekend, and got to tell you, man, like. I've been a little bummed out about my card pools like this, this summer. Um, I'm just not, I haven't seen a lot of nice bucks on, on camera yet. Um, now, you know, my neuroses kind of kicked in, you know, and I was getting a little, a little overly concerned about it maybe. And so what I did was is I went back and looked at, cause I was trying to remember. So this property, you know, I obviously I didn't hunt it at all last year as I had mentioned. And I just kind of watched trail cameras. Right. So, it, I was paying attention to it, but I wasn't really because I knew I wasn't going to hunt it. I was watching what deer were on it, but I I didn't really pay attention to what time I was see, seeing the deer, particularly um, in, in terms of dates. I knew about what time of the season I would see was seeing deer, but not specific dates and stuff like that. So I was getting a little antsy and a little nervous because I wasn't getting any good good deer on on camera. And so last night when I got home, I pulled out my hard drive and you know pulled up all the images from last year and started going through each different card pool that I did, you know, at the different, you know, dates and stuff like at the sea, like when did I start seeing the best deer come onto the property? Like at what, you know, what dates was it? Because like I'd mentioned before, there's not a ton of action on this property during the summer, but last year, all the nice deer that I had on camera at any point all showed up between October 1st, you know, beginning of the season and were around until like Thanksgiving, right? So the entire archery season, they were there and then they disappeared during um, late season and you know and then I, I assumed they would show back up you know sometime late summer and so when I looked at the you know data from last year it seems like the nice deer on that property started showing up right around like mid-August is when they really started showing up I had one image of a nice deer mid-July and it was it was the only one all the other ones showed up between uh, mid-August and like the mid to end of September so I'm still uh-huh. probably like two to three weeks out before I need to worry. I think, um, you know, one, if I get to if I get to three like three more weeks out, I get to the beginning of the end of August, and I'm still not getting you know a shoot you know some shooters on camera. Then I'm, I'll start to get worried. Um, but I don't think I'm going to have to worry about that because you know. So you know how they say the old saying is one one in uh, in hand is worth two in the bush, right? I don't yeah. know. I don't even know what the hell that means but it sounds good. 
Um, so yeah. I, I didn't have shit on camera. One, one in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. <laughs> right. It depends on what bush. True, true. <laughs> yeah, well, it all depends on what hand, what bush, Whose what hand, time of year. What there's bush. Lot of factors. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that could foul that up. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so... I, you know, I didn't have anything on camera and I was honestly a little bit bummed. My dad, you know, cause my dad drove all the way up and we got all the food plot work done. We needed to get done, but I was really hoping we would see something really good on camera. Um, you know, so he could get excited about it, you know what I mean? And there just wasn't anything on there. You know, there was one decent buck that I, that I had on there that he would be a borderline shooter in Pennsylvania, but you know, for most people, but I, I'm probably not going to shoot him. You know, it's one of those type of deer. Um, be great if you got, another, be great if he got another year, then he'd be a nice deer next year. Um, so we, we get in his side by side to kind of drive cause he was, he was driving the property and, you know, and we were checking the cameras and stuff. And then there's a, there's a road or an old logging trail that kind of goes out to this dirt road cause the property's on a dirt, dirt road and he gets onto the dirt road to drive down to the other entrance to the property. And as we're driving down, don't you know, right along the road, like 10, you know, just across the dirt road from our property, a buck jumps up that's bedded 10 feet off the road in the high grass and shoot her all day. So yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Um, and I stood there and just watched him. Like you could tell, like, this is the cool thing about this property. Like there's, it gets literally like hardly any pressure in this area, um, for Pennsylvania at least that deer just stood there and we, we sat there for probably like five minutes and just watched him. And he was only maybe 20 yards from me at that point, just standing just, just inside the timber line. So we went and parked the, the UTV and uh, my dad needed me to run him down and, and run an errand with him. So I did that and we came back and we drove past the same spot. And I just said to him as we were pulling up to it, I was like, man, I was like, that buck likes that bedding spot for some reason right there along the road. I was like, I wonder if he's back there. I wonder if he just like, was like, oh, these guys aren't a threat. I'm just going to go back and lay down. Sure, shit, we drove by again, and he was laying in the same spot, jumped up, walked into the timber line, and just stood there and watched us. And I was like, wow. yeah, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Of course, you know, I didn't have my camera with me. I forgot my camera, which sucks, because I would have had time to take plenty of pictures of him. So we park. Uh-huh. I drop my dad off at his truck. You know, we say our goodbyes. We're getting ready to pull out. You know, he's going to drive back to North Carolina. And I'm, I'm pulling out and I'm following him out and I'm like, I'm wondering, I'm like, I'm going to drive real slow. I was like, I wonder if that deer went back and laid down at that same spot again. Sure as shit, three times I drove by and he was in that same bed and hopped up and just walked inside the timber line. And then this time he was like, all right, dude, this is the third time you've like woke me up. I'm going to jump down into the woods a little bit. So, but yeah, yeah. So, so that's what I was saying, you know, one in hand is worth two in the bush. So I haven't had anything great on camera, but I saw a definitive shooter in person, like right bedded, you know, 10 yards off the property line. And he was right where one of the trails I had been watching, it kind of rolls up um, across this fence line onto our property toward a stand location that I have kind of mapped out. It's probably like one of the two best spots, I think, on the property. So with that, I uh, I redeemed myself and felt a little bit better about the, uh, about the card pool. So I don't know. How about you, man? You've been seeing any deer glassing and stuff like that? Actually, it's funny because, you know, you text me and you said, hey, we, you good in 30 minutes? And I said, yeah. And I had about a 10-minute drive on the gravel from that point. Um, I got about a mile uh, a mile from my house, three-quarters of a mile, um, and I see velvet antlers standing in 
a field um, actually at my lease. So I looked at my, I looked at the clock and I'm like, oh yeah, I got 10 minutes, you know? So I'm like, I can easily stop here for five minutes. And I had my Maven spotter in the back seat and I grabbed it real quick and pulled off to the side of the road and glassed this, uh, this buck. And I mean, it looked like a three-year-old, but a, a solid, you know, 10 point frame and nice. you know, good looking deer. So, um, nice. that was, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, like I love getting trail camera pictures of them, but nothing replaces actually seeing them on the hoof, you know, dude. Yeah. That's just so much cooler. Yeah, it is. Well, and the other thing was too, is like this deer also confirmed for me a few things that I had thought. Cause again, this property is relatively new still, you know what I mean? And so I, my suspicions were there was one place in the Northwest corner of our property where if I were a buck, it's where I would bed. And there's a place beyond that where I know does are bedding, right? Um, and so the other place I thought that they would most likely bed would be across the road because there's a ridge across the road on the neighbor's property. Um, and no one's hunting that ridge because it's just nasty, steep. You know what I mean? It's 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 pretty sheer. Um, and so that was nice because I, and when he kind of took off, that's the direction that he ran. So it's like it it, it kind of tells me that my assumptions were, were correct. And then the trail camera data that I have too, and using video mode, it's like I catch them coming from that direction. So I knew that they were betting back there somewhere. Um, that just kind of confirmed for me what I, what I had thought. Um, you know, bummer is, is I can't go track down where he's the other places he's betting to try to hunt him, but on that side of the road, but, um, we'll do everything we can to keep him on, on our side of the road and, you know, and, um, try to, of course, have that food plot in the fall and the late, late season and hopefully sweeten our property just a little bit. And, that uh, trail that he would likely run to that stand location I have kind of mapped out is uh, at the corner of it as it ends into this like almost like see uh, like crep program field is a apple tree uh, uh-huh. and that's the hot spot during the fall is that apple tree there at the very right beginning of the season so I'll have that going nice. for me yeah so. Well, cool man. It's uh we've been we've been flapping our gums here for about an hour. Um, I think we can probably shut this thing down unless there's anything you feel like we forgot or that we need to add. Mm, no, I think it's pretty good update so far. Cool, man. All right, brother. Well, then I, uh, I think we'll go ahead and, and, and shut this thing down. I'll let you get rolling and, uh, we'll catch up again soon. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank you all for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast to make sure that each episode is brought to your mobile device directly to your pocket. Of course, be sure to make uh, sign up for the uh, Truth from the Stand newsletter. That will get you entered into the Exodus Trek trail camera giveaway we are nearing in on the 145 uh, participants in order to shut down the um the the entries and once we get that number we'll go ahead and do a drawing and then uh release the name and reach out to wh- whoever wins to get the contact information from you to uh, get a sweet track camera into your hands and before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Broken letters, nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get Oh, yeah. Gotta get
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.